0: Welcome, one and all, to episode seventy-seven of the Scum and Villainy podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast. We break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and in my co-pilot seat, it's Noah George. Episode seventy-seven, lucky seven sevens, I guess. Yes, yes, around here in the Star Wars, uh, co- uh, the Star Wars corner, seventy sevens, a, a quite a lucky number. So look at us go. Look at us go! I guess we'll have to wait until episode seven hundred and seventy-seven to, to <laughs> say that again. So speaking of it. like, speaking of like the the things that are not happening anymore, like this isn't related to Star Wars in literally the slightest. But like okay. you know the like the term like spring forward, fall back kind of situation. Oh yeah, the upcoming fall back, like in whatever day that is, like the next like. Four or five days, or wh- whatever, is the last time ever we're falling back. Did you well, know that? I, I
1: heard that. I heard that. It, like the bill that was passed did not fully reach something, so it's not happening this year. I'm, I must be. I must be out of the loop. That it, is it. Like they're just going to do it next year, or I guess I don't know. I don't know the updates on it. I I saw. I saw that
0: this fallback would be the U.S. Senate approves this bill. uh, So I see that. So uh, the time change starts in 2023, and from what I read, I could be wrong, but uh, the fallback. And then we're gonna get a spring forward and then after that it's it's and then we're done. And then we're done. So savor this fall back. You would think that they would just cancel these two things because it would just be the time that it is now, you know. (laughs) But I guess not, you know. So uh but anyway, we're gonna get some extra sleep soon, which is always good news. I always love to hear that. But yeah, it just reminded me of like this phenomenon you our grandkids are gonna ask and you're gonna be like, I remember (laughs) twice a year we would just decide the time was different. Well, in my
1: car, uh, I was just telling you before we started, my new car that I purchased, there is a setting specific to just change the clock for daylight savings where like you just click it and it sets it back or forward an hour. (laughs) And so like, you know, God forbid I have this car for long enough to where my kids are like dad what's this
0: button do and i'm like well let me like, tell you a funny like it's story. An, old, an old cassette you know yeah. player or something yeah. they're like what is this is this Daylight a usb savings. drive yeah <laughs> yeah no uh so it's great we're, we're, you know reaching a milestone everyone Times are different man en- enjoy Times literally the- are different <laughs> <laughs> very good very good uh no we don't have too busy too packed of an episode today uh last week was a long one we've had some long episodes recently um last week of course we discussed not only the newest episode of andor but the entirety of tales of a jedi uh so if you guys haven't listened to that episode and you're itching to hear our thoughts you can go check out last week's episode Uh, but this week Noah, we just are going to be discussing uh andor episode nine nobody is listening or nobody's listening are you excited to listen i'll listen to you the mutual listening happening between the two of us
1: i was i'll tell you what I'm so pumped to just be listened to uh, tonight on this podcast. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> and I'm so happy that it's a it's a little bit of a slow news week because. This episode is just a juicer, man. Yes, it it is. is absolutely squelching with content.
0: Yeah, these these past uh, few weeks, this this newest arc that we have, the you know the prison arc, so to speak, has just been awesome. Like I have been eating this up. the The past three episodes, not to spoil verdicts for me, are just like, yeah, this is great please more of this you know like (laughs) this is just firing on all cylinders just what like seeing star wars on disney plus like what it can be you know not that the other shows haven't lived up to said potential but this is just such a different flavor of something that feels wholly cinematic but you know almost like an independent film in Star Wars but you know with this this veneer that we all you know know and love and have grown up with with this DNA of this galaxy far far away and this episode is just rife with tension great conversations great character beats great reveals too uh, and just continues to you know where some of the prior episodes the build-up for me maybe wasn't didn't quite have that forward momentum with this. I'm enjoying the build up as much as I am the payoff. So yeah, uh, episode nine for me was just an, another winner, just really excellent.
1: Well, I, I'm I'm right there with you, especially kind of the way that that this show as a whole, but episodes like this in particular are making me feel where there's a few pieces, and I'll call attention to them when we get to them. But there's a few pieces in this where I wrote down in my notes like. This reminds me of a simpler time in Star Wars. And it's funny because it's not actually a simpler time. Things were incredibly complex, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it just makes me it makes me feel like I'm seeing something for the first time again, or at least being introduced to the way that things are supposed to be in star Wars, like reintroduced to it, you know, it's like, Hey, in case you forgot, uh, these are the bones and they're still good. The bones are still good. And everything on the outside is, you know, is just as fresh. It's something that I, like you said, I can't say that, that, the other shows are doing it wrong mm-hmm. but there's something there's something special about andor and the way that these episodes are crafted that really i don't i don't find myself questioning whether or not I have to make this fit into my view of Star Wars or say, well, it's just, you know, it's really out there. It's something totally different, something we've not seen before. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that Andor can can show me something and I, and I can look at it and say, oh my God, that reminds me of something I've seen before. And it yeah. is like a forlorn, almost like, what a, what a good time to be at the place that I am as a star Wars fan where I can watch this and be wholly intrigued, wholly invested and also be looking back on the things that I grew up on and say, that's, that is that, that's that what I'm looking at is, you know, is how I felt. It's what I saw. It's the perfect encapsulation of those things. So just really, really like very, very, very nostalgic and great.
0: Yeah, and I think the nostalgia that you're picking up on that I'm also seeing is yes, the the DNA of Star Wars is there, but we talked a lot about like the THX qualities that this especially this newer arc has. But then I also look at like other films that were coming out around the time of Star Wars and certainly around the time of George Lucas, movies that Lucas was not necessarily like rebutting, but just like his kind of answer to some of these, you know, all the president's men network, some of these more serious films. Like... The
1: Last Starship, obviously, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a Starfighter. No, a Last, oh, the last Starfighter. Starfighter. Sorry. Respect it. Okay. Okay. We're going to get there eventually. Uh, no, but it reminds me of something like Papillon, which I don't know if is a film that you're familiar with, but it's a early seventies, Steve McQueen, Dustin Hoffman prison break movie and something like that. I find, you know, has a similar DNA for. Uh, obvious reasons too, but then also like some stylistic ones as well. Like this feels has that tangibility aspect to it, uh, which happens when things are shot on location, and it the the analog quality is like ramped up to eleven here. And I think it's just more grounded in a way, uh, like a literal way too. There's just not a lot of like dogfighting and and you know uh, a lot of space battles and all this kind of stuff, which you know of course that we all love in Star Wars. But yeah, to me, it's like... You know, whatever food analogy you want to use, uh, the, our friends at force center like to use the buffet analogy. Um, I've heard some people talk about ice cream. Uh, so whatever you want to, whatever you want to use to me, this is like a nice scotch of star Wars, you know, to <laughs> where, uh, like it's just, it's, it's simple, but has notes of other things in there. Um, respecting the craft that goes into everything. Like, like we've said before, I don't necessarily want all of star Wars. To feel like this or to have this flavor. I, I love this as much as I love something like, you know, what we see in Tales of the Jedi, for example, what we saw last week and seeing Yattle fight Count Dooku uh, in this crazy lightsaber battle. Was refreshing in a way, but not in a way of like, oh, I missed this. Let's go back to that. But just kind of like reminded of like, oh, yeah, this is what Star Wars can be. But it can also be this other thing over here and really enjoying the two of those. I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but like I, I've had a similar kind of um reaction to something like Batman, for example, stop me if I've already mentioned this before, but like being able to enjoy something like the Adam West Batman series, but then also turn around and be able to love the Pattinson, you know, uh, the Batman just as much, or if not more, but then also watching Batman beyond or whatever, even Lego Batman is a pretty good example. Loving that approach to this character but then you know also appreciating what matt reeves or chris nolan or even mask of the phantasm or whatever you want to do understanding that the dna is still there of the thing that you love but appreciating these different approaches so yeah this episode just kind of continues on that but brings so many new qualities to to star wars and uh i, I just uh, we don't we obviously don't know what like the metrics are of things as far as like how the show is performing, but I am just eager and excited and hopeful more than anything that Lucasfilm is not discouraged from going in such a different direction like they have with this show.
1: Yeah. There's, there is a piece of it where you're just, you know, you're hoping that the success of this, which honestly, you know, there's been a lot of talk on social media and, and on YouTube about the quote unquote success of a show like this and where is it at in terms of numbers and and Mm -hmm. reception and this and that. And it's frustrating to see, you know, I see some people here and there that are like, I forgot Andor's coming out. I I don't hear anybody talking about it, but everybody that is talking about it is just absolutely in love with it. You know? So I don't know. I I hope that this isn't one of those things where they're like, Oh, you know, Disney plus might make a decision that would be, they they love this stuff. Let's just let's just do another one. Let's just make it this now because that's yeah. a you know that's a common thing. But I I have faith in Star Wars to say we're getting so much that's going to be so you know different you know differently structured. I'm gonna put forth right now that you know. Like you said, Four Center has their buffet analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to put forth right now that we are the frozen yogurt analogy. Uh, <laughs> this is my my flag in the in the dirt right here, right now. That we okay. are the frozen yogurt an- analogy because think of it this way: you can pick whatever toppings you want, but are you going to get those like Are you going to get those little little boba you know little boba things little that taste like balls? Fruit? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to get those, and you're going to get cookies and cream bits? that would be disgusting. No, you don't want (laughs) both of those. You have to measure them carefully. And when you do that, you can't get too much of any one thing because then you pay for it later and you're like, oh man, this thing is so heavy and now I have to pay for all this. I didn't want all this and now it's sucking me dry and I don't (laughs) like that feeling. I'm not going to come back to this yogurt shop. So you have to measure things carefully and know exactly what you want going into it. But then... On the other side of that, you walk in and you're like, what the hell? They have like a mixer thing. You can get like vanilla and also like mango pineapple. Would that be good? And then you do it and you're like, I didn't expect this. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Are you, are you following me I'm, here? I'm,
0: I'm following what you're saying for sure. Yeah. The, then you have people who come in and are like, no toppings. I'm a frozen yogurt purist, you know? They, exactly. I, like, I don't want, I don't want sour get gummy out. worms <laughs> in, in my frozen yogurt. And it's like, well, some people do like that kind of stuff. You don't have to get sour gummy worms in there. No, your, you don't
1: you can get whatever yeah. you want whatever yeah. you like there's no menu there's no menu so uh all that being said two emphatic thumbs up for me yes <laughs> very much at.
0: very much so with me with a spoon ready to scoop into my frozen yogurt so uh yeah this that's a scum and felony. <laughs> exclusive right there is the frozen yogurt analogy i appreciate it all right so let's dive on into andor episode 9 nobody's listening uh every every so often you and i like to pause before we dive into the actual content content of the episode and talk about the title of the episode. Um we don't do it every week. Some weeks the the titles a little self-explanatory. It's you know, it's like, well, it's that's what it is, you know. So, uh this one I thought uh of this particular episode did leave a bit of interpretation or different uses uh, throughout the episode. So, the title nobody's listening kind of where did you feel that was applicable throughout this episode or kind of how did that speak to you?
1: Well, we obviously get the, uh, we get the answer to the, um, the more straightforward who is, who's this nobody, right, uh, that we're talking about or, you know, who's not listening, uh, talking about the empire, not really caring what happens to these inmates that Cassian finds himself surrounded with. Um, I think that there's an interesting sort of like, okay, who else would be not listening in this, you know, in this regard, um, because the characters right now that we are sort of dealing with uh, the, the certain threads that we're following uh, with Bix being now in custody and with, uh, with Cyril Karn being sort of, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what a good word for what he's doing is. <laughs> <Creepy>. um, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a word he's for He's creeping. It. <laughs> uh, and he's like pleading maybe is a, is a good way to put it yeah, uh, because he's, He's got, he's got thoughts. Um, He's certainly got thoughts. He's got feelings and uh, nobody seems to be listening to him and how dire uh, he, he's feeling about this situation with the growing rebellion Um, even further when we are faced with again, Mon Mothma, uh, you know, joining the Senate, like we saw in last week's episode as well the other senators are literally like not even showing up. They're Mm -hmm. not even showing up to meetings anymore. They're talking over her. Nobody is listening to Mon Mothma either. And it's so funny because the Senate, every time we're there, uh, I feel like we should be getting this, like I should we. I, I feel like we should be getting the presence of, of someone like Emperor Palpatine, you know, residing over this. But, it shows that like not even the you know not even the empire cares to right. be sitting in on this senate meeting you know and uh, again just going to show nobody really is listening and i think that's interesting when you think about okay well what do you do when nobody's listening do you you know, do you talk louder? Do you do you uh, try to shout so that you get people to hear you? Or do you realize that nobody's going to notice you? Do you go behind people's backs and do sneaky little things? There's a lot of different ways that you can sort of play that. That's what I love about some of these titles that we talk about is, great, this can apply to different things, but what does that lead to? What is it? What does it mean if nobody is truly listening? What can our characters do with, you know, maybe the advantage that they have. So it'll be interesting to see where some of those things lie, you know, end up lying, especially Mon Mothma and what we'll see hopefully next episode with Cassian and
0: how things may come to a head in the prison. So I think it's, it's really
1: interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's the line is literally in the episode where Cassian says that nobody is listening, but I think it is applicable. Like you said, on multiple fronts, not only with the empire in that, They're not listening to the pleas of the galaxy, but they're also not listening in a way of underestimating the galaxy and underestimating what some of these people that they don't deem to be a threat are capable of. Uh, It makes me think of uh, Marva. Later in the episode, they explicitly say that she's old and she's like, ah, they're fine. We don't need to really monitor her beyond just waiting for Andor to show up. She's not too much of a threat to where we've seen that Marva still has that rebel spirit and still is actively involved in the rebellion and trying to. Uh, the the uh, underground tunnel that was hinted at, uh, you know, in prior episodes. So I think there's definitely an underestimation factor where Cassian's even alluded to this of that, you know, saying that they're too fat and satisfied to really even think that, you know, coming from below is is you know not what you would expect you would expect it to come from above uh so there's there's that kind of application too but then i also think about characters like kino characters or people and citizens of the galaxy who don't want to engage or really face this tyranny that is is being inflicted on the galaxy and not really wanting to stand up and, and stand out against, you know, this, this threat that affects everybody. And somebody like Keno is, you know, like I'll play the game. I'll keep my head down. If I just do what's asked of me and I'll flex, whatever, whatever, you know, uh, power, I guess, or influence that I have the little of it that I do in this prison, I'll get out and everything will be fine. Right. You know, and then we get that great turn, um, at the end of the episode, but yeah, I think you're exactly right. in in bringing up the Senate and that we get that great scene where Mon Mothma is pleading to the Senate, asking people to do something about this, you know, completely unbridled power that the empire seems to have and some people are like yeah let's listen to her and then others are like long live the empire you know so you're just kind of screaming just hoping somebody will pay attention to to what's happening here before it's too late so yeah i think there's a, obviously a literal answer in this episode but i think that there is just this message of sort of hopelessness at this time which i think is A unique quality for Star Wars that i not to say that this is a hopeless story, but I think at this point where we're at now to which I would assume like plot structure wise, we're like, you know, end of the second act, which just generally is usually where our heroes are at the lowest point. um, I would assume that when we get towards the end of this um, series, that when we get this, let's be honest, inevitable prison break Mm -hmm. uh, and these. Uh, uh, you know, forward uh, kind of movements here with the rebel Alliance, I think that we are going to gain some of that hope that it's like, no, somebody's listening and we're starting to band together.
1: Yeah. So th- that's something interesting to look forward to. Um, because again, like, you know, you kind of said that calls into question what, at what point does that at what point do things change? Um, when do people start to listen? So there's, because we're following so many threads, especially for a character like Deidre, who, you know, we are seeing, I don't know, she gives me like, she gives me huge like Thrawn vibes. And I think her whole point is that she is, you know, she's sort of struggling to to prove her intimidation and prove her uh, her usefulness to the ISB. But what's different about her characters that she actually is. It's just that everybody is sort of, you know, indifferent to that sort of thing, except for probably except for uh, Pardigaz, who recognizes her, her wit, her potential, her, you know, her service to the empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is the, you know, she is the one that is truly listening to just about everything. And there's a great scene where Pardigaz is like, What? You think this is connected to Eldani? That's way like you're, you're crazy, you know, where she really has not only has her ear to the ground, but she's forward thinking about a lot of the things that are piecing together and trying to understand and trying to listen to these little tiny things that are happening and put together her own mindset. So it's interesting to see her as a character being somebody that we're definitely not supposed to root for, but is clearly like in the lead. She's clearly the smartest character um, that is, you know, Really on the tails uh, of Cassie, and if he wasn't locked up in prison, then I'm sure that she would be, you know, right on him about to about yeah. to end this show. So yeah. I I love seeing that come together, being the one character that you're not necessarily rooting for, that is not in the dark about anything. So really, really interesting stuff.
0: Yeah, and I just brought into question of like when this inevitable prison break does happen. I, that's probably going to lead Mira Miro to Cassian, you know, oh, like, yeah. like yeah. she's probably going to be like he was using a different name. Oh, well that explains it. You know, like let's you know, let's go get them. So I wonder if that's gonna maybe lead into season two, or maybe towards the the end of this season. So let's go ahead and dive on into the episode. The episode actually begins with Miss Deidre Miro interrogating Bix on the whereabouts of not only Cassie and Andor, but also Axis, the code name that they uh, have given to somebody that they believe to be at the center of this sort of rebel activity. Um, Miro uses a method of torture. Uh, they they call interviewing um, with the help of Dr. Gorst uh, and they use the sounds of this civilization that was inhabiting a planet that the empire was trying to build a facility on this the civilization sort of rebelled and were uh, uh, not overly welcoming to these, this this uh, imperial occupation of their land so they were all killed Uh, Mm. And not only were they all killed, but the Empire managed to record and document the sounds that these presumably alien creatures exuded when they were dying, Uh, their, their dying breaths, and they have now synthesized them. As a means of torture, uh, not just the sound of these uh, slaughtered civilians, but also the children. So Dr. Gorst uh, and uh, Ms. Deidre Miro here uh, use the sounds that they describe as a choral, agonizing pleading of children to interrogate uh, Bix and others. And don't know about you, man, but like we've seen Interrogation happened in Star Wars before, with you know, uh, uh, the torture droid and Han being lowered into some mysterious table of electricity and doom, and Empire Strikes Back. But this is just like some medieval maniacal (laughs) shit. Like, good god, was this disturbing?
1: (laughs) Well, that's one of those things you think of in Star Wars as like, okay. How are we gonna? How are we gonna hurt this? How are we gonna hurt this dude? Yeah. What if we poked him a bunch? What if we just give him a little zap? What if we give yeah. him a zappy zap? And it's yeah. like, yeah, that's that's played out. That's really played out. Any you know, any torture artist, any doctor, <laughs> you know, Doctor Nefario is going to yeah. think up something more wild like that. And oh man, I will say, uh, I, maybe maybe I'm just like a little bit too much into the, into the creepy pasta side of the internet uh, of like, if you hear this sound, it'll make you go insane. If you look at this picture, your, your toes will get chopped off, (laughs) you know, or whatever it is. But I really wanted to hear the sound. Jesus. (laughs) Like, like, I don't know. Do you remember if we talked about this uh, way back in the, when we started this show, Mm -hmm. uh, episode two of, uh, so it was, episode two of Clone War season seven. Okay. So I, I think I might've mentioned it towards the beginning of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but episode two of Clone War season seven, they go to Skeko minor to rescue echo. Yes. Um, and there are these creatures, uh, that inhabit the planet. I looked it up. They're called politics. Yes. Um, their sound design for like their native language is the most eerie like uncomfortable sound i think i've ever heard and it's the coolest thing ever and i know you know we've talked a little bit about sound design in star wars going through back to like these documentaries and things yeah uh and how how did these sounds come about um i bet they could have done something really cool not to say that i'm mad that they didn't but like man really, th- I was really like, are we going to hear it? Are we going to hear it? I kind of want to hear it.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's the the mystery that makes it scary, you know, that you're able to imprint kind of what this is. And they they do such a great job of setting it up. And Dr. Gorst has such like a like a layer of like glee to him. Like he's happy to be doing this. He's also like so impressed with himself. Uh And he seems so like, oh man, I can't wait for you to hear this. This is crazy. He and I, like I've worked so hard on this. This is my life's work. So like, I, I think Has he heard it? Has he heard it? I mean, how does he know? Does he know? I, I mean, I would assume it's kind of like, you know, you can, uh, okay, to get it to the real world. So like, <laughs> so- if, if you're ever wondering how political Star Wars can get, this is a pretty good example of it. Like mm-hmm. America and other countries too, I, I will add, but particularly America, especially during our occupation of the Middle East, we did this. We did this very often. Like this was a form of quote unquote enhanced interrogation, AKA torture that we would do to prisoners and we would play music. It would either be like screamo music or like children's music even. And just like, it would be a method of sleep depri- deprivation and just this audible assault uh you know against people uh and just blaring this music against people so i wonder if it's something like that too you know it's like yeah i've heard whatever screamo song it is but once you listen to it non-stop for 15 hours you know or however long uh uh dr gorse is uh, you know deciding bix needs to be inflicted this pain upon yeah it's it's some harrowing shit for 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 sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Not, not awesome to think about in a, in a political and uh, contextual sense, but uh, maybe the coolest thing in, uh, in more mature star Wars.
0: Yeah, it is, it is uh, some, definitely some, some upsetting stuff, for sure. Uh, but Bix seems to uh, kind of succumb to the to the interrogation and gives up what little information that she has, which honestly at this time is not much. Uh, back on Arkina 5, uh, Cassian and the rest of the prisoners are kind of toiling away, assembling these various parts for the Empire. Um, but Ulof, uh one of the members of their team, starts to show signs of physical and mental strain. Now, I don't remember if I mentioned it last week, but... But the, the actor that plays Olof, does he look familiar to you at he all? He does
1: look familiar. And I think we did talk about it. And I promptly forgot uh what we talked about. Um, but I know that he's I know that he is familiar.
0: So the actor that plays Olaf. Olaf is Christopher Fairbank. Uh, and if he looks familiar, uh, I, again, I apologize if I mentioned this last week, but he is the actor that is in the original 1989 Batman movie, uh, the Tim Burton one, that Michael Keaton delivers the famous line. I'm Batman too. Like he is the, the, the guy who's on the roof at the beginning of the movie that Keaton grabs. And he says, I'm Batman. Like that's, Ridiculous. that's the guys. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like that, he's, that... he's
1: making waves is what he's doing.
0: Yeah. He's also in uh, the first guardians of the galaxy movie. He's like the shop owner that Michael Rooker is like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know, yep. that guy with the eyebrows right. and stuff. Yeah. You're right. Uh, but anyway, poor Olaf uh, starts to show signs of a physical and mental strain. Like I said, um, which kind of the the rest of the group kind of band together to protect him because he's not really able to like you know uh, uh, whatever whatever the the phrase that they used it's it's, it's slipping away from me right now um, but we see that Cassian in this time is beginning to formulate an escape plan he's kind of uh, uh, scheming in the bathroom you know taking out walls uh, uh, panels in the walls and filing away at something we don't really know quite what also looking at different platforms that they could perhaps jump onto. We also see notably handrails in Star Wars, which is a rare thing. We just don't get to see very much. So glad that maybe this, this prison is up to code. That makes me wonder if the rest of Star Wars is just not up to code. You know, is the Death Star just not up to
1: code? (laughs) That's funny because they're like, oh, did you notice uh, the handrails aren't, uh, they're not connected to this grid. They're not, they're not electrified. So it's hilarious that the Empire is like, boy, we should put up some handrails, Really don't want to fall on this electrocuted floor. <laughs> that would suck.
0: Yeah, the- <laughs> and and then of course that's going to be their downfall. They're going to use it in their plan, and then we're going to see some guy be like, "Okay, no more handrails. We're He's done. Like, that's it's it. It's not going to happen. That's it. It's over. <laughs> we're done." Does <laughs> he just goes to and just ripping them out? No more handrails, like the like Steve Martin and the jerk. So, uh, yeah, curious to see how that is going to be um, applied into their plan. Um, Kino though is quick to silence any of this plot in and is quite fearful uh, and anxious over the fact that the empire may be listening uh but refusing to uh answer cassian's questioning regarding the guards on each level uh cassian of course argues that the opposite is true and that like the title would suggest nobody is listening it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the arrogance of the empire and that they don't need to monitor you know what's happening here they do they flex their sparky zap sticks and their, you know, spooky death floor. And that's really all they need to do to keep these, these people in line. They don't have to listen into their plotting and their, their, their plans and their scheming because why would, why would they any plan that they could possibly formulate would fail? Right. You know? Well, and I,
1: I have a kind of a question here for you with, you know, talking about where, where does this title sort of lend itself to, of nobody is listening and who's not listening. Um, I kind of got the sense during this scene particularly, particularly, which is why I waited to bring it up here. Um, but in this scene particularly, when he says nobody's listening and he, you know, is kind of like he's shouting, he's, you know, somewhat pleading to, uh, to Kino uh, to give him this information. I felt a little bit like this could be almost taken as like, he is the only one who is trying to formulate some kind of plan. He's the only one that really wants to get out. And these other people uh, in this in this prison with him are okay with just watching their, their clock tick down. And like Kino, keeping their heads down until they have no more shifts left. Um, did you get that sense at all that he's more, you know that he might be talking to everybody saying nobody's listening to me as in we have to get out of here we have to do something about this or somebody has to do something about this would you say that that's fair
0: yeah i think it's both to be honest where he's like not only literally saying that nobody is listening as far as like being spied on by the empire but i also think yeah he is having this frustration of it's kind of a microcosm of what's happening on a galaxy wide scale is that lots of people are just saying, you know, it goes back to the conversation that was happening at Mon Mothma's party to where people were saying like, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, I, you know, my concern is why you're so fearful of getting in trouble to which Mon Mothma replied. Well, my concern now is more with your definition of wrong. And I'm, Thinking that that's kind of a similar sort of attitude to what's happening here is that um, Kino has such uh, a perspective of I'm just going to do my time and and I, uh, if I just abide by their rules and do everything that I can and stay in line, then I will eventually get out of here and it will be fine. Into where I think it Cassian is really seeing the truth here that just because you think that the the empire isn't going to come knocking at your door and start affecting you even for not doing anything wrong. Even if they're not doing that now, they eventually will like nobody is safe. Nobody is, is, you know, too far removed or or too high up kind of the social ladder here. Everybody is just under the boot of the Empire, and you kind of have to decide if you want to fight back against that or just kind of succumb to the stomping, as it were. So I think, yeah, uh, Andor definitely has the frustration of Ulf or uh, of Kino's, like, skepticism about, like, even trying to formulate a plan, but I think he's also just frustrated with... How unwilling everybody is to cooperate against you know fighting back,
1: man. Good stuff. I'm telling you, it's good juicy. Stuff. It's juicy.
0: Juicy indeed, like a frozen yogurt, I guess. I don't like know. Like <laughs> a frozen yogurt, like a squig, like a squig. <laughs> <laughs> um, we of course uh, after this we see how the <clears throat> Republic uh, and in this presenting of Mon Mothma and you know the Senate that is now just in complete shambles. Uh, Mon Mothma is, is on the Senate floor arguing to the other senators of the Republic, arguing that the empire should not be given complete control of the galaxy's legislative powers. Uh, And Mon Mothma in her, you know, impassioned speech notices that a large number of her fellow senators are like dimming the lights on their little Senate pods and are kind of like dismissing her plea, uh, which I thought was 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 such a turn from what we saw earlier to where there was this kind of apathy to what was happening in the Senate and like nobody even showed up. Uh, It made me wonder if this was like a special occasion or something like that but i also think it's funny how like Mon Mothma is arguing something that seems so like obvious of like, hey guys, maybe we shouldn't give this guy in charge complete control of the galaxy's legislative powers. Like that to me seems like such kind of an obvious point to make, which I, again, I think kind of speaks to today's times to where, I don't know about you, but I feel frustrated lots of times that I feel like the obvious needs to be stated of like, do you guys understand this is wrong, right? You were not in agreement on that. Okay. Wow. I guess we have to like go back to chapter one here. You know, yeah.
1: that that's, I think that that's one of those pure things, uh, where you can really decontextualize that and be like, yep, this is still true. This is, you don't have to see this in context for this to be true. Yeah. And it's interesting that I think that, I think that Andor as a show, um, is doing something that, Star Wars really hasn't before in showing sort of the, I don't want to say process, but I guess the, 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 the lean in towards what the empire will eventually be. Um, we see a lot of characters that are sort of not on the fence, but they're just, their ideology is just slowly drifting closer and closer towards what the empire is. And you even get characters who are already, you know, fully sort of committed, um, to this Imperial reign that have talked about, you know, at w- at what point did they reach that level of things? How did they get there? We talked a little bit about, um, about Wolf ularen and yeah. how does someone like that transfer into the empire and what are those things there? And Cyril Karn is obviously kind of the, the big sort of mascot for what kind of person would devote themselves to a cause like this, right? So that's sort of the question that we're getting here. And with the Senate members, you have all these people that you would think are logical and, uh, and reasonable political minds that are like, yeah, no, I don't care to listen to what you have to say about it because my mind's already made up and I'm Mm -hmm. comfortable here. Um, And so it's, it's sort of that, like, you know, how do we really get so many people that support the empire? How do they get so big when the, you know, when the the hands are choking so tightly at this point now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a really interesting dive into how things really got as bad as they did. And I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. And I think above all, like this just really delivers on kind of the promise of the show in showing maybe not the formation of the rebellion with like a capital R, but like the formation of rebellion, like how do people in the galaxy start to rebel on a small scale? And what drives them to this point that they think I have to try something. I have to band together and join the military on this crusade to take down this power. And I think that in seeing people like Mon Mothma go through the, like Quote, unquote," kind of proper lanes and really dotting her I's and crossing her T's and not really, in, you know, kind of navigating the red tape of it all and pleading to the Senate as a senator and saying, are you guys listening? Are you guys, are, oh, you, you, not only do you guys not want to fight back against this on like, you know a militaristic perspective but you're not even wanting to do your job your duty in upholding your duty to the republic and you your fellow you know kind of citizens of the galaxy here i think it really paints this picture of desperation in that it makes sense why people like mon mothma or bail organa or or whoever would be pushed to a point that they would have to they would have to form something like a rebellion. You know, I, I i think that is ultimately kind of the promise of this first season, or at least kind of what I'm seeing as far as uh with these individual personal stakes and and what pushes people to rebellion and, and who are they fighting for and, and how do they fight. Um I, I think this scene really uh contributes to that.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about Mon Mothma's sort of position in all of that. Um and it's interesting because, you know, well, this will be my my last thing before we lead into more of this. But mm-hmm. um, with her, it's interesting because what we, from what we've seen so far, she's not willing to go as far as some of the other rebellious characters that we see. She wants things done in a way that is clean and neat yeah. and, you know, doesn't spoil her, her sense of morality and judgment. Um, but at a certain point, and we'll you know, talk about this a little bit, uh, later, but at a certain point you ask yourself, how far would you go? Yeah. And I think what we'll see is Mon Mothma asking herself, how far is she going to go? Because she seems like she's right now a little bit scared to yeah. be taking that step, but clearly things are not getting any better. So it's, it'll be uh, curious to see at what point does she For say? Sure. All right, that's it. Taking the leap, you know?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And like we saw with the, that, you know, the kind of the heist that we saw earlier that literal leap into this rebellion I think is a really apt visual metaphor and so yeah seeing those other characters take that proverbial leap uh, I think is is really powerful and and inspiring too especially one at the very very end of this episode it's great stuff um, following this Mothma is alerted by her driver that her cousin has arrived at her manor at her little uh, her little loft there her little apartment um, her cousin Noah is revealed to be none other than John the Mothma
1: <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) her cousin
0: John Mothma. John Mothman Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, uh, it's revered, revealed to be Vel, of course, uh, from the uh, the the heist on Feryx, uh and uh, one of the main characters of the show. That was definitely a, a big surprise. Um, I didn't expect that. I didn't, I guess I wasn't looking for it. Maybe that just says what kind of Star Wars fan that I am, because I don't look at these new Star Wars characters and I go, hey, who are they related to? I just accept that they're a new Star Wars character, but hey. It's good to be surprised about a familial connection in Star Wars, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's great to
1: be surprised. I I was like I was watching this and I was like, <clears throat> what? <laughs> I, I was like yeah. fully fully taken aback. This show, yeah. uh, more than more than others recently, uh, has been one where I have uh, I vocalized my my reactions yeah. all by my lonesome. Just you know, not. Just just sitting by myself watching this and it it draws something out of me. There's another one at the end of this episode here where I I had a full vocal reaction, uh, but yeah, this is one I I I love surprises like that. I don't think yeah. that this this isn't one of those things that's like oh my gosh and their family and that makes it so important. Yeah, not really. No, we know we know their characters very well. We our understanding of the positions that they're in. And we even get more hints of what is, what is Vel's understanding of her relationship with someone like Mon Mothma and their position in social classes. And we get the same line that she says to Sinta that the rebellion comes first and we take what's left. And th- having that mindset to say, yeah, this character is consistent And, you know, so this family relation doesn't change, but it certainly makes things more interesting. It makes things a little bit higher stakes of maybe Mon Mothma's closeness to something like this and the danger that she is in, which I love it. I love it. I want more. I want more stakes. We've got plenty, but I could use some more.
0: Well, I wanted to ask, I guess, like, do you think that Vel's perspective on rebellion one, do you like agree with that? Like her perspective that no. <laughs> like you, okay, good. Uh, like, uh, and do you think that Mon Mothma agrees with that? Like, do you think that she would have a different perspective? Cause we don't like fully know, like her retort to this isn't, you know, as, as encompassing. So do you think that Mothma kind of aligns ideologically with this idea that like, like you said, that she echoes from Senta? that that the rebellion comes first and we'll kind of take the scraps of what's left and kind of do what we can with what we have. No, I think that that is, I think that that is not,
1: I I don't think it's horribly misguided. This is, you know, one of the things that we talked about a while ago is, is looking at everyone's version of rebellion. And so it's, it's understandable to say that this is something that someone like Sinta or Vel has to believe they have to persuade themselves of this, that the sort of, you know, the, the broken relationships that they, that they leave along the way are just sort of the price of being able to not just survive in a galaxy threatened by the empire, but to fight back and take their stand and continue to be a person among all of this. Um, I, it's something you know, sort of morally skewed where we look at a character like Luther or Saw Gerrera who's willing to take those physical, you know, those, those actions that would say, eh, not the brightest idea, not the, you know, not the most solid, uh, judgment call there. Um, or we can take someone like Val or Cinta and say emotionally, morally, you know, and even in the greater themes of star Wars, does this show a true, you know, commitment to the rebellion, or is it something that is slightly misguided? I think that, you know, these misguided devotions are some of the more interesting themes in Star Wars. And I would by no means say that Vel is, you know, off course in thinking that, you know, that the rebellion comes before any of her relationships. Um, but I would say that one of those, you know. One of those mindsets, either Sintas or Vels, they're, you know, sort of inherently the same. I think that they are skewed in a way that, you know, that says, well, by the end of this, what are you actually fighting for? Right. Are you fighting for your own self-preservation or are you fighting for something like hope? that we know is, you know, sort of the, the one thing that prevails throughout uh, the empire's rule is to have hope that things will get better. Um, And not only to have that hope, but to be able to share hope with others and bring other people into a feeling of, or I guess outside of a feeling of hopelessness, right? So by the end of things, sure. A character like Vel might come out, alive and quote-unquote win but what does she have by the end of it i think that we'll see that she might end up with nothing and that would be a very fitting but also very tragic sort of uh logical conclusion to what her character believes um so i think it's very very interesting that we get even more of this of what relationships are you willing to leave behind for this cause you know
0: yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty tried and true, and I don't even say that like in a you know uh a critical way, of just kind of like talking about the DNA of Star Wars. The idea of attachment is a huge theme in Star Wars. And I think that that is at the core is what we're talking about here, that Vel has an attachment to loved ones, Cinta especially, and understanding that her love, you know, and and her duty to the Empire kind of comes, or her duty to the Rebellion sort of comes at a cost. And I think that I, I would echo maybe more of like this sort of like Rose perspective of the idea of not fighting what you hate, but saving what you love. And I think in kind of relieving yourself of these personal attachments and these relationships and just being mission focused and just win at any costs and, you know, my relationships with others don't really matter. I think you kind of, uh, or maybe not, or not, not, not matter, but maybe aren't the priority. I think you're kind of, you're going to eventually get to that point to where you're just fighting what you hate because you're, you forgot what you're trying to, not you forgot what the that love is, you know I, I i this is like a a word salad here, but the idea that Rose says of fighting what you hate, saving what you love, if you forget about the people that you love and why you are out there fighting this tyranny, i I think that you're going to eventually kind of lose sight of what's what's important and and what's at stake, you know, that if you succumb to this threat throughout the galaxy, then people like senta or other loved ones mon Mothma or you know or or others too that is what at, is what's at stake because they are going is is what's going to rip these relationships apart and doing that yourself it's it's a little counterintuitive so i i admire vel's dedication to the cause but i think that Others have proved, and I guess will prove kind of in the chronology of everything, others have proved uh, that this lifestyle, it's not an either or. You're able to do both and you're able to still have love. It might be at a bit of a cost. You know, I think Leia especially would have something to say about that when her relationship with Han, um, but just... Willingly and openly just kind of sacrificing these relationships to this cause, um, I don't think is a, a very light side perspective, you know.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I, I'll say this, but we don't have to go into it because I'm sure this is a very interesting conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can also go too far to the other extreme. Uh, there's, I think, Hmm, let's see one, two, three whole movies about what happens when you become obsessed with the things that you love and you aren't yeah. able to let go of those attachments. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, of course. Yeah. And you're, and you're fighting for them, uh, and not saving them. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's just interesting that Star Wars doesn't ever, it doesn't ever say, no, there's a right way and a wrong way to do these things. It shows how either or can affect everyone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's there has to be dare I say, balance. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we get a perspective like Val who clearly is, you know, we're rooting for. She's on the good side. She's fighting yeah. the empire, but we're like, Hey man, don't, don't do that. You're going to, you're going to hurt the people that you, that you care about. And that's not, you know, it's not good. It's not, it's not what you want, Yeah, but you know, those, those things coming together. I, I mean, we'll just have to see it play out, but
0: yeah, I just think, I just think that that's, it's a little bit interesting. No, you're right. Like we could do an entire episode about the idea of attachments in Star Wars. And I think of like scenes, if you're talking about like the prequels, especially like when, you know, Anakin loses his mom and he's talking to Yoda and he's just kind of like, I don't know, shit happens. Like you don't have to mourn (laughs) them, you know, that's the way of life anyway, you know, like, and that's maybe not the right perspective either. So the sort of blase callousness to Anakin's pain. But then Anakin's pain completely overwhelming him and that his own need of control and attachment into how he perceives power, you know, so yeah. It's, the balance is definitely the yeah. key word there. So I'll, uh,
1: I'll say it though, Yoda, not the guy to talk to about death of a loved one. Uh, literally everyone that he's ever known died before him. So Maybe probably, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's a little,
0: he's a little callous. I, I didn't even think about that. He's like, Oh, I've lost literally everyone I've ever known. It hasn't really even affected me at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grow up, buddy. <laughs> now I, now I'm curious about Chewbacca too. Yeah. I mean, he, he does get oh, pretty upset oh, when, Han, when, when Han dies too. But, uh, yeah, maybe he's just like, well, uh, another life debt for another person, I suppose. Uh, But, no, yeah, I'm sure uh, Chewbacca is a big softy, of course. Um, But, Noah, after this, uh, we have another dinner party at Mon Mothma's house, or just, I guess, a regular dinner, uh, where uh, Mon's husband, Perrin, uh, continues just to be the biggest douche in the galaxy. Uh, He proves not just to be sexist in this conversation, but alludes to maybe even being homophobic, too. uh, Or at least accidentally, yes. Accidentally homophobic, but then it also makes me wonder like, well, they're not telling him something, and they're not telling him probably for a reason. (laughs) um, Because what we're talking about is uh, Perrin says something like, hey, Vel, you know, why aren't you married? Like, clock's ticking you're getting older you know go find yourself a husband so you can be useful you know like it's a good god like it's just a big facepalm moment i know that some people were like yeah he's he's not like an evil character he's just a little he's just a little uh misguided no hit him with the death star this guy yeah. sucks <laughs> yeah uh, he's the worst
1: he is so horrible it's yeah. so funny that like he's not like a representation of anybody in particular like we've seen from this show is like okay great what do these characters represent what do these characters represent he's just kind of that guy and you're like Oh, I know that guy. Oh yeah, I know you, that you, you, guy. you run
0: into him every Thanksgiving. You know he always asks like family members of like, oh, so you dating anybody? It's like, oh well, you know, like in this kind of mocking too. Or this, he, like, he'd be you the know. guy. He'd be the guy that like say there's a member of your family that's
1: transitioned, and yeah. he'd be the guy that'd be like, he'd you know talking about that person, and he'd be like, oh, I was talking to him. <clears throat> I mean, sorry her earlier just you know make it
0: super obvious like and you're like oh my god shut up yeah trying to you know kind of like doing it in a completely like sarcastic disingenuous kind of way but yeah i mentioned like the homophobic thing because like well, we know that Vel is a is a queer character, and Perrin doesn't seem to be aware of that. And so I'm wondering if Mon Mothma had like disclosed this before. He didn't remember, didn't care. She hadn't disclosed this before. If not, why? You know. But definitely sexist. Like first and foremost, like a total misogynist. Like it's just yeah, horrible shit. Perrin, hey, you're man, the absolute
1: it, worst, dude. <laughs> it's just the it's just the customs, man. It's just the, oh, it's, it's a it's different just the time, custom, different you know. <laughs> They're from they're from a different planet. Yeah, it's pre-Battle
0: of Yavin, you know. Things are different <laughs> there. They've got
1: their traditions, you know.
0: Yeah. It is what it is. Maybe chandrillens are all just a bunch of pricks. Yeah, this guy, yeah. Just the absolute worst. One of the worst husbands in Star Wars. And that includes Anakin, too.
1: <laughs> oh no, wait, no. <laughs> oh, He's man. not the
0: worst.
1: Yeah, it's I mean tough. he's not great but he's not the worst
0: yeah I mean choking your wife out to death is is uh, is, is pretty tough there for sure uh, yeah. but yeah uh, we definitely we have this conversation between Vel and between Mon Mothma like we kind of already touched on uh, but we cut back to Bix uh, following all of this interrogation because lest we forget this has been happening this entire episode of this ear torture um, and we see that Deidre has gotten all of the information that she requires uh, and she is monitoring Marva hoping that Andor will make contact. Again, we already kind of talked about that she doesn't deem her to be a big threat. Uh, not only because she's old and sick, but also the fact that if she was to interrogate her, she would probably die. Like she wouldn't be able to endure this, this quote unquote interview process. (laughs) a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. And you're, you wouldn't get anywhere with, with Marva being as old and clearly stubborn as she is, um, in that rebellious sense. So, you know, Deidre doesn't seem like one to. I mean, she says it in this episode that she's not a fan of having her time wasted. Yeah. Um, again, for me, a very Thrawn thing to say sure. um, and a very, uh, very Thrawn mindset to have. So that that fits in right there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Following um, a shift back uh, at the prison here, Cassian and the rest of his gang kind of catch wind Of something, some sort of incident that happened on level two. Uh, And the way that this is conveyed is that the sign language that we had talked about and how these different levels and these different rooms communicate with one another Kind of is like a game of telephone, to where it has to be passed along and passed along and passed along. To which, like, not only could information become unclear, but it also takes time. So there's a great, again, kind of contributing to that, that sense of of helplessness too. Is that even communication among these rooms is sort of being um, stifled here?
1: Yeah, that's something that you know we we talked a little bit last week about the, um, I guess the you know the relationship that each level has with each other, that each room has with each other. um, And the separation there is really interesting because, you, you know, you don't see any like, competition once they're done with their shifts, right? They're all in the same room They're but they're all at different tables, but there's not like, Oh, that table over there, that's the, that's the jock table. And you know, they're, they're big and strong yeah. and they win every single time. And, yeah. and, you know, there's none of that. So it's interesting to see, you know, the prisoners communicating with each other. But I, I do think what's more interesting is that the empire doesn't like go out of their way to make sure that something like this wouldn't happen. They, you know, they sort of allow this to happen by having all of them gather, um, in these hallways where you can see everything. Um, which I wonder if that's intentional just for them to be like, look at this big whole place that we have you in because this is what your life is. And you know, they, they're not, completely separating everybody they're not completely isolating even the you know different levels from each other the different rooms from each other but at some level they just don't care you know it's i think it's very interesting that they're able to communicate that way because there's no there's no monitoring at all
0: yeah. Well, they, uh, and Cassian even notes that they value them less than droids because oh droids God, at I least love that like quote. are more expensive and replacing parts on them costs more money. To so whereas here you're just able to file in a new prisoner, which is a plot point that we will get back to for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, while details on this incident are unclear, uh, some prisoners seem to have been either killed or injured uh, over some sort of mistake. But again, at this time, the the characters don't know. Um, but we hop back to Cyril Carn. Uh, there was another moment in this, in this episode where he's talking to his mother and there's this really funny scene where she's like, I knew I shouldn't have gone out of my way to get you this job. You're so worthless and pathetic. And he's like, hey, I got a promotion. She's like, oh, I always knew that you could do it. <laughs> she's like, I always believed in you. This is going to do such great things for us. So uh, yeah. She's the worst. She she's is the, the absolute worst. worst. Yeah, Number that,
1: one worst mom in all of Star Wars. Yeah, her 100%. and Perrin
0: Par- would make a, a good pair for sure. Uh, but it, <laughs> it is a super like Empire point of view. It's like I'm going to Uh, use you when you're useful to me, and then when you're not, you mean nothing to me. Yeah, it's a super dark side point of view. Um, But Cyril Karn manages to get back in contact with uh, Deidre uh, and kind of under the pretext that both of their ambitions are the same or, or, or aligned, uh, but Deidre quickly shoots him down and she's like, Hey, if you ever try to contact me again, like it's not going to end well for you. So there's that detail, but then also that he had been interviewed like months before or like a month before. So like quite yeah. a lot of time jumps happening uh, between these episodes that aren't maybe as obvious, I, I think makes a me also apart. think about season two as well. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I think every episode is a month apart and I keep having to tell myself that because like even watching it week to week, I feel like I'm waiting a long time, but then I feel like it's like, great, we're picking up right where we left off. And that's not necessarily true. However, I will say I'm not an idiot. I'm not stupid. Y'all are stupid. Cyril looked bad last week. He looked bad and they make it a point to be like, Hey, you're looking better. What's going on? Yeah. You know his mom. His mom is like, "Oh, you got your haircut. You're you're wearing a, a clean shirt. Okay, yeah. you know." Um, so I just wanted to put that out there because, uh, yeah, it's it uh, it was resolved. I think. yeah,
0: I, I saw some people online kind of shipping. Cyril Karn and Deidre, like, do you get that (laughs) perspective at all? Or was this totally like a professional networking kind of situation here?
1: I mean, do you, are you talking, are you talking mainly about the part where he said, uh, after we met, I like rediscovered joy in the universe or something like that, (laughs) which is (laughs) such an out
0: of pocket (laughs) thing to say, like how absolutely unhinged of this man to say something like that. Ridiculous.
1: (laughs) Uh, it, it gave me like really big, like, Stormfront and Homelander vibes. I don't know if you're familiar with <laughs> yes, the boys. Yes, yeah. Yes. 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 Um, it was sort of that, like this could be like a Stormfront Homelander thing where it's like, they're both definitely Nazis. One of them is a little bit more ambitious than the other. Yeah. Um, but like, obviously they're not at that point yet. Um,
0: so it makes me think about that <laughs> hospital bed sequence in this newest sequence, uh, season of the boys. So yikes. Hopefully uh, it doesn't no, get to that you. point. No, no, thank you. Yeah. Thank Ooh. you. Yeah. Uh, um, no, I, I, I felt like it was mostly... Uh, despite some of his very strange comments, it was mostly like him a social climbing kind of. Oh yeah, again sure. a sense of duty and status, and that's what's all been important to him. I don't think his relationship with her. I think it's more of a means to an end. But uh, uh, but yeah, Deidre shoots him down very quickly, uh, and then she is revealed later to have learned of a rebel pilot who has been captured. Uh, the ISB are planning to stage an incident. So so as not to uh, alert separatist leader Anton Krieger uh, and it's to stop this eventual raid that will be happening um, on the power station of Spellhouse. Uh, there's also conversations of planning a murder and we'll stage it like it was an accident and then also that she's going to conduct the interview of the rebel pilot remotely which i thought was super funny like she's going to torture this guy over a zoom call so (laughs) (laughs) yeah just terrible empire activities
1: well it's funny because they mentioned in this episode they're like oh you're you're isb you're the worst of the worst um these guys are in no way i don't know if this was like Maybe it was hinted at that they are kind of, you know, still sort of a police force or at least a law enforcement. These guys are like, this is like spy stuff. This is like, you know, foreign spy, you know, all yeah. of those kind of dealings. This is secret agent stuff. They're like, okay, so how do we handle this? And Partagaz is like, any ideas? And they're like, we could murder him. Yeah. And He's like, okay, all right. We're gonna hold on to that. He's one. Like, I'm
0: listening. Okay, he's like, let's, let's throw I'm that on the, on the whiteboard. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> he's
1: like, we'll, we'll keep that in mind. Um, any other ideas that don't involve me like getting my hands dirty? Yeah. got Any ideas? Yeah. yeah. And that's just so like ugh, yuck. What a like. They're so skeevy. Oh my yeah. goodness. You don't see yeah. this very often, but like, goodness gracious
0: yeah it's the same kind of you know make it look like a mining a mining accident you know it's just the same kind of empire thing is how can we keep this under wraps which again is a plot point that will come back up later in this very episode um back on coruscant take home it sits back down with mon mothma to talk about bringing in a so-called thug uh, davil davo or davo uh Skolden. Uh, I believe' is how you pronounce it uh, as to be a quote unquote charitable donor uh to their quote unquote uh, you know cause here their their uh, uh, foundation that they have here uh, because both Colma and Mon Motsma's, uh funds are too difficult to move around without setting off any sort of um, alarms here Mon seems to be initially pretty hesitant to this idea and although she doesn't outwardly kind of like agree to it it kind of is suggested that she will eventually have to kind of get her hands dirty in a way so again back to that kind of conversation of what, like what goes first like your your duty to this cause or your own kind of moral compass you know i think that's a theme that's been throughout all of this and i think that this this beat that will eventually come to fruition i think is really just hammering on that I'm telling you, we've been,
1: we've been asking it since day one. How far does someone like Mon Mothma go when she has these morals? How far are you willing to go for this thing? Yeah. And I'm really glad that, you know, she doesn't seem to be someone who's like, all right, I got to do something about this. It, she's being pushed into this. She doesn't really have a choice in the sense that her moral compass is pointing, you know, more strongly towards one direction than the other. She's, you know, she certainly doesn't want to deal with some thug, uh, but there's no way she's going to let, she's going to let herself succumb to the empire. You know, that's a really interesting perspective of like, okay, what brings you to the rebellion? And you're like, well, it was my only option because I wouldn't let myself stoop down to this level. You know, that's just something we haven't seen before. And, Again, I'm really glad that we get to see at what point, you know, it it does, does Mon Mothma reach, when does that sort of reach its head? Um, So we're getting into that territory. I'm so happy because we've been talking about it since day one.
0: Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of that, like that moment in the last Jedi where DJ pulls out the hologram and he's like, see, it's, you know, there's no good side, bad side. They're both on the same side, you know, to which I've always thought is just complete nonsense of course like you know dealing with some quote-unquote thug to move some rebel funds secretly is not the same as torturing people with the sounds of dead children you know like (laughs) (laughs) not not the same man not even close not even a little bit uh so yeah i'm curious to see how that will play out and if she eventually yeah does you know deal with this so-called thug and like, how is that going to play out? You know, does that come at a cost and, you know, do they expect something in return? So very excited to see that for sure. Uh, back on Arkina 5 uh, after another grueling day on the line, Olof uh, collapses. Uh, we had seen some uh, you know, uh, allusions to his his health kind of wavering here, but he eventually succumbs completely collapses. Uh, Cassian and Kino stay behind to uh, help him as Dr. Reischoff, uh arrives to check on him uh the doctor when he arrives says that olaf has suffered from a massive stroke and that he eventually needs to be euthanized so that he can be replaced Uh, cassian and kino ask him about uh kind of the aforementioned quote-unquote mistake that led to the deaths of the prisoners on level two the doctor reveals that a prisoner who was released from level four um, ended back up in level two um, As soon as everybody on level two realized that they were, uh, you know, just kind of being shuffled around and not really escape or uh, able to be released from this prison, uh, they were all murdered. Uh, Cassian asks Ryshoff uh, bluntly if that means that no one is getting out. Uh, Reischoff says that especially after this, nobody is getting out to prevent, uh, any news of this tragedy kind of escaping here. So there's a bunch of reveals here in this moment. We get not only that, like this doctor is kind of not able to save people because they're not worth saving that this guy who's had a stroke is of no use to the empire anymore so we might as well just let him die so this other worker can come kind of fill his place but then also these prisoners are unable of escaping this facility and they're just sort of kind of shuffled around uh this prison until they're you know dead Essentially, uh, it's pretty bleak stuff. I have some questions about this uh, reveal, uh, but what did you think uh, about this kind of twist here? Well, that's the thing:
1: is how does this? I have to imagine that this incident is the first time that that something like this is you know revealed to the rest of the prisoners, where they're like. We were supposed to. We were supposed to be done, and now we're back on. You know, we're back at work and doing this thing. And they end up obviously telling the people that they're with. That causes enough of a ruckus to have the empire say, "All right, fine, zap." Right. So to me, it's like, okay, this mass, uh, you know, zapping is obviously like we don't want to deal with this. We we don't want to deal with this. This is just gonna get out of hand. It's going to be annoying. We got to deal with this. Just kill them. But at the same time, I feel like that couldn't have gone any other way to where you're like, it's fine. Tell them they're getting out and then just move them to a different level when they inevitably tell people that they were supposed to get out. And then word gets around. We will just make an example out of all of them because that's what the empire loves to do. And we, you know, are looking at this from a a perspective of, okay, how is the prison aspect of things changing now with the, you know, uprising of the rebellion and the resentencing acts? Um, And the, you know, we've talked a lot about the empire not really caring about what happens. I think that that's still true, um, but I think that it's more important that someone like Luthen will say, great, I want Palpatine to overreact and do these things Um, because this is an overreaction on the Empire's behalf of let's just kill everybody. That's the message that they need. And uh, yeah, they're not going to complain after that. That's it. They'll probably continue to not monitor you know these people not listen in not you know check up on on the goings on that are you know that are happening here in the prison but they just needed an excuse to make an example first which is so evil it is so mean <laughs> that it's crazy but
0: yeah i think that it i think that it makes sense yeah i have to wonder like cuz you had said this is likely the first time that this has happened so i'm wondering if of you know before these pord's like the prisoners were allowed to go like the prisoners left like their sentence is up they're gone you know i wonder if that was it but like once these pord's happened there this sort of shuffling kind of took place because i have to wonder like was this the first guy that this happened to because you would think that if you know this was the protocol before the pord's these prisoners immediately would be like i was supposed to get out of here what am i doing back you know exactly yeah like so i would assume i'm going to give the show the benefit of the doubt and assume that because of these pord's these people are not allowed to escape and it is just sort of this shuffling so to speak of this you know because we know that when cassian came everybody's like time just like doubled. It just like went up exponentially. So I'm wondering if this was also, you know, uh, a, a cause it's like a very empire thing to do. Like, I don't doubt that at all. I'm just wondering if this deliberate, just kicking around these prisoners to the next room or whatever is a direct action of these P.O.R.D.s and you know by proxy Cassian and his actions too. Yeah I, I have
1: to imagine that that's sort of how this played out um, which I love because that Again, we talked about raising the stakes for Cassian specifically. And okay, what sort of fight does he have in this? Is he is this self-preservation? Is there anything behind this? When does he when is he gonna feel like, you know, he needs to make an actual difference? And this is one of those things where great, everybody's sentences were doubled and it's kind of yeah. your fault. Um right. Yeah, right. you know, that that in and of itself is like, oh man, okay. Well now I kind of owe it. Uh, to these people to help out right. right and now it's like and also uh you're all never leaving and it's still your fault yeah. <laughs> so i i want you know i i don't think it's necessary that we get that you know that final push of you know what is going to what is going to flip on the switch in Cassian's mind to say oh yeah the rebellion i should do that um I don't think that we need that here. I think that the, you know, the self-preservation was something that we that we sort of wrestled with earlier in this season and now we're at the point where he needs to band together with these people, all these people need to band together um in a way that says this is something that is being inflicted upon us yeah. for almost no reason. It's unfair and not only is it happening to me, but it is happening to just so many people, so many people. Mm-hmm. So I, lo- I would love this to be one of those stakes that we can look back on maybe even come season two and say, you remember when this happened to Cassian in the prison? Yeah, that was one of those formative things where he was like, guess what I saw? I saw some shit, man. Yeah, And it was wild and I will not have it. So yeah. really, I-, I really like that this maybe sets up some stakes there.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it it, again is in kind of conversation with what we've been talking about here, this idea that if you keep your head down and just kind of abide by the rules that you'll be okay, which is directly sort of, you know, proven to be wrong. Uh, at the very last scene and the last moment of this episode where Cassian and Kino are walking back to their cells, Cassian asks him one more time about the number of guards on each floor uh, to which Kino finally answers him uh, and says at any given time, there are always 12 guards. So it's that not only like a great fist pumping moment, but it is a real affirmation of like, just because you keep your head down, and as Jen would say, like, Jen Erso, like, when you, if you don't look up, you'll be fine. It's like, no, you're not going to be fine. Like, they will come for you and, and in some form or another. You will get caught in this wave of, of tyranny throughout the galaxy. It's just a matter of time. And Kino is just... Assuming that if he just, you know, does his job and, you know, uh, builds these parts and keeps every, you know, keeps the train running on time that he'll get out like promised, right? No, like the Empire will kill you at a moment's notice just because of a mistake or you know, or not even a mistake, a, you know, just they're changing the rules and you caught on about it. So now someone else's dead. mistake. Yeah, yes, exactly. Right. So I, I, this is not only like a great moment uh, for Kino and his character and obviously leading into this eventual prison escape that we no doubt will be getting, but also just a real confirmation of like some of the bigger ideas in this uh, season and in Star Wars, to be frank.
1: Yeah, if you're looking for if you're looking for some strong character moments, uh, this is one that you can you could plot this on a whiteboard and teach it to a class. Like <laughs> that's yeah. how laid out this is. And it, and that's not a bad thing. That's really not because not yeah. that, you know, and not that the average audience member needs it spelled out, but it's good to be able to track these characters and say, great where did we start with Cassian again? Oh yeah, he was kind of like a douche. He was kind of like running from people. He owed people money, you know, and he was just overall a weird guy. And now where do we see him, right? Same goes for Mon Mothma, same goes for Kino, same goes for Vell. same goes for Namek. It, there's just, you know, this list of like, okay, where do we see them start? And in a few short episodes, like where do we end up? What has changed so far? So right. love it, love it. The, the performance as well for Andy circus, this whole episode is just this like deterioration of what he thinks he knows. And he like, he outwardly doesn't like say anything about that until the very end. But right. You can see it on his face that he's like, um, I am not in control. Like I thought I was
0: totally. Yeah. And it's
1: so, it's so good. So yeah, yeah. this was the other moment where I was like,
0: yes awesome, awesome. yeah because earlier in the episode he like flips and attacks one of the prisoners and it is really like this control that or this power that I thought I had is just completely minuscule and means nothing and I think it also is what we're eventually going to see with Deidre and, uh, and and Cyril and people and they're like this so-called status that you have and your your dedication to this authority and to this power they don't even care about you like Darth Vader has choked out Tons of you people for doing smaller things, small, made smaller mistakes, which ultimately like. Cyril is like the ultimate guy who could get choked out by Darth Vader. Character ever works his entire life, tooth and nail, to get to this point, to get you know this position on a star destroyer, and Darth Vader kills him because he alerts the rebels on Hoth that they're you know <laughs> that they're coming. So like, yeah, I I, I think it's uh, again also a real world thing too of like you know these politicians that you idolize and buy hats and t-shirts of and think that they are you know God's gift to Earth don't care about you don't know what your struggles are are completely out of touch with like your day-to-day sort of life so it's just like this uh yeah good stuff juicy
1: really juicy i'll because i uh because this has been on my mind uh i don't know if you've frequented the illinois dmv uh or any illinois dmv uh i mentioned (laughs) never had the pleasure (laughs) oh man you're missing out uh i was I, i had mentioned i purchased a new vehicle um our secretary of state, uh, Illinois secretary of state has been in office since 1999. Uh, so dude was there when I was born and, uh, he's still in office. And that's crazy to me that Mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, we vote these people in thinking that it's like, they've definitely got my best interest for sure. And I will support them tooth and nail just you wait, pal. Just you wait. I'm not. I'm. This is not me condemning the the Illinois uh, Secretary of State. I'm just saying we're coming it's interesting. For you. <laughs> no, we're <laughs> not. Election day coming up. <laughs> I
0: promise. We're not. <laughs> your days are numbered, motherfucker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jesse White, watch your back,
0: <laughs> Mr. Uh, White.
1: No, it's just it's just interesting that it's like, hey man, you could you could really decontextualize this and think about it, and uh, you'll find some stuff. I bet. Yeah. So Yeah.
0: Yeah, very excited to see next week's episode. No doubt going to be this inevitable prison heist. If not next week, definitely building to it. I'm also curious to see if there's more of a time jump. Obviously, Mon Moth are going to have going to have some some dealings here. I wonder if we're going to get some more time with uh, Marva in this episode. Uh, There was also some other characters that just like straight up straight up are not in this episode. So uh, uh, very excited for for uh, next week's episode will be uh, episode 10. So just a few more episodes left, uh, in this first season. So yeah, great stuff. I'm, I'm absolutely loving everything that we're getting here.
1: I I am as well. I can safely predict, uh, I have a, I have a decent enough feeling uh, a hunch about this. I can predict that. I think next episode we will see Saw Guerrera again, which I am okay with uh, surprise, surprise
0: character growth.
1: Um, I think <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Uh, I do think that he's going to have a run in with Deidre, uh, because that was the, uh, The guy that they mentioned was like, that was the guy that Luthen talked about to Saw and in that little tiny deal that they had or might have had. So I think that we'll run into Saw again, um, and it could be next episode now that Deidre is closing in on the tale of some rebel guy that we now are being introduced to. So I'm excited for that. I think most of all, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, only time will tell. Uh, but before we get to next week's episode, do you want to go ahead and wrap it up and take us home? For sure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics
1: or bits and news you think we should cover, you can head over to our Twitter and shoot us a message at scumvillainpod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Noah to George and gary Cho. And may the force be with
0: you. We'll see you next time. See you guys.